one of the things that I have realized is that you're never done growing up. You're never done learning or growing as a person or, you know, figuring your stuff out. And I think that as I've come to accept that for the rest of my life, every time I think back to myself 10 years younger, I'm going to think, ah, oh, kiddo, you, you didn't know, you didn't know what you were, you know, you were so young back then. You just, you, you know, you were, you thought you were all grown up, but you weren't really right. And I'm just going to keep doing that for forever. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome back to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes, and we always suggest seeking appropriate treatment with licensed professionals accordingly. And if you are a longtime listener of the show, you're going to be excited to welcome this week's guest back to the show, Sarah Ballantyne. Hi, Sarah. Hello. It's like coming, coming home. It is like coming home. You, uh, You've been away at college. <laughs> yeah, coming it's, back. It's, do, you, do you remember when you first went off to college and like you first moved out and you came home and you walked through the door and there was this like immediate sense of relief of like back in your warm, fuzzy place that you didn't even realize you were missing. Like you didn't even recognize that that was a thing until you were living somewhere else and it wasn't the warm fuzzy place. And then you come back to the warm fuzzy place. That is, that is the emotion I am feeling right now. I am bathed in warm fuzzy. I have waited my whole life to hear that I offer any sort of warm fuzzy to anyone (laughs) with my (laughs) cold hard black heart. (laughs) So thanks for that. Listeners, if you haven't had familiarity with Sarah, you can find her websites at thepaleomom.com and nutrivore.com. We will, of course, put links in the show notes for you and super active on social media, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and somehow despite her age and the fact that we're talking about a midlife crisis today, you are launched and raring to go on TikTok, <laughs> which I just uh, cannot get into. I know we're going to talk about this more on, <laughs> on our Patreon bonus, but TikTok is my favorite place on the internet. <laughs> it is the most delightful, the delightful place. I, I, to, to, to all whole view listeners. I highly recommend TikTok. It's wonderful. Listen, you know what is wonderful is when the best of TikTok makes its way to Instagram two weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) Or or YouTube shorts. I I think that I think that was my gateway. But but here's the thing. TikTok allows you to do up to three minute long videos and Instagram and Facebook reels and YouTube shorts cap it at one minute. So you only get the high performing one minute videos from TikTok over on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And there's this whole world of one to three minute videos on TikTok that just live on TikTok. And it's amazing. (laughs) Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Is TikTok my midlife crisis? I don't know. Maybe we (laughs) should talk about it. (laughs) Before we move on, I do want to tell people that you are doing live events. So if they're thrilled to hear from you today or want more of you in general, they can go to thepaleomom.com slash well, I'm not going to leave the whole link, but I'm sure if they just Google the Paleo Mom live events, it will come up and we will put links in the show notes for you. Anything else before we we jump into today's topic? And I know uh, we're going to have personal updates over on the Patreon. Yeah. So if you're not on patreon.com slash the whole view and you want to hear more about what Sarah has been up to, definitely pop over there. Yeah, I think we should just dig in. This is this is going to be fun. Okay. Well, the idea of me search has been long, long on this show. (laughs) 
I think it's actually the origin of the show itself, where we like to research things that we're experiencing or curious about (laughs) in our own lives. And I'll point out that the Atlantic article that was the original reference point between our exchanging of texts points to this as well. So the author of that article was also experiencing their own things and put together a, a great article that we then are going to kind of expand upon today. And um, I personally feel like I went through a midlife crisis a few years ago, and we'll talk about that more. And what my curiosity with this whole thing is, is the idea of examining both the social and the scientific aspects of this, because there is information and research on both, and it's not exactly consistent or clear, but it presents a really great opportunity for us to collaborate here again and dive into some of the science with you, Sarah. So as a means of some background information, the term midlife crisis, and we're going to re-examine that term later, was first coined by a Canadian psychoanalyst. So shout out to our northern friends, Elliot Jacques. Am I saying that right? Because it's a French name, right? Jacques. Jacques. Jacques, yeah who noticed a pattern in the lives of great men in history. Many of them lost productivity and even died in their mid to late 30s, which was midlife in those past centuries. So the idea entered popular consciousness in the 1970s when the author Gail Sheehy wrote her mega bestseller, Passages, Predictable Crises of Adult Life. And then she he argued that around age 40, both men and women tend to descend into crisis about getting old, running out of time to meet their goals and questioning life choices. I think for many of us, this time period of our life also coincides with huge cultural change. So for me, I mean, the past three years has been just that, a global pandemic, life at home with children who I didn't expect to be here. And ultimately, in our general population around this time, there's a rise in those seeking therapy. In fact, one of the therapists that I was talking to for our family earlier this week used the words with me, well, you know, there's a mental health crisis right now. Like it was known in popular culture and just she was referencing the fact that what I was asking for was going to take longer than expected because... In and of itself, we're all experiencing a mental health crisis. That is, as Sarah discussed at the top of the show, an exterior factor affecting us. What I found in talking to so many people is that it really provided an opportunity for introspection. So I think all those things considered, it op- it gave me an opportunity to think about my own kind of midlife reevaluation at just the way it was timed. And what that Atlantic article refers to as transcendence, which I prefer much more than Christ. So they say, with knowledge and effort, you and I can make two crucial choices that can lead to harnessing the changes and difficulties of aging to instead design a midlife transcendence. So I'm curious, Sarah, what you think about that. Have you also been experiencing some big feelings the last couple of years, just in general? your thoughts on that Atlantic article? Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to read some some other reviews of midlife crises. And what I find really like powerful about that article is exactly that, like taking the word crisis out of it, because the way psychological studies are designed is they're really looking at midlife crises, not as a time of challenge. Like we all hit challenging times in our middle adulthood and middle adulthood is defined as the time between adolescence and senescence. So between when basically as soon as we're, we're done like actually developing, which is happens around age 25, all the way to when we start slowing down in old age. But studies of midlife crises tend to put that age range between 35 and 70, which feels to me like there's a really large opportunity in that time window. Who's 140? I So it, it's the term midlife comes from the scientific term middle middle adulthood. It doesn't actually mean 
that it happens in the middle, like it, like cutting your lifespan in half. So it actually, the scientific studies that look at, at midlife crises look at it basically in that period of sort of stability of adulthood. So in between basically that time where you're figuring out what you want to do with your life, you're getting married, you're starting a family, right? You've got this really dynamic time in your teens, 20s, maybe early 30s, where you're kind of figuring out who you are. So it's kind of in between that period of exploration and period of time where you retire and you kind of start winding down, maybe you start having some health things crop up. So it's that period of stability of adulthood in between, which is why studies kind of place this 35-year range on it. That is the middle of your life, right? It defined as being between these two periods of change. It's this period of overall things aren't changing that much. And it's the stagnation that can occur in that period that can be one of the like risk factors for a midlife crisis. So the things that can drive a midlife crisis, I mean, the way, the way psychology research even defines midlife crisis is not super consistent. And actually there are, there's like a whole group of psychologists who don't actually believe it's a thing who aren't, who aren't convinced by the research that there's enough evidence to say that, that a midlife crisis is a thing. Although funnily enough, economists can measure midlife crises in our purchasing habits. So it just, it just means that this thing is really hard to study. And in part, it's really hard to study because it hasn't been super well defined. But if I kind of look at, you know, the, the, the biggest studies in this field, and I'm not a psychology expert, but by any means, but certainly my medical research background level understanding of those, of those studies, I would, I would say the consensus definition is something like an internally driven mental health challenge and or behavioral maladaptation in response to social isolation compounding the lowest ebb of happiness and well-being in that middle adulthood range of time. So there are some studies showing that we have this sort of U-shape uh, well-being curve where we hit this low ebb in middle adulthood. There's other conflicting studies that don't show that at all, and I know we're going to talk about that later. But it's this sort of period of time where we're dissatisfied. We maybe have reached the the sort of stability of a job where now our job is starting to feel repetitive. Another risk factor is having sort of already started a family. Men are uh, at higher higher risk due to some differences in their neurophysiology, which I know we'll also talk about. But that behavioral maladaptation is what we think of as the cultural sort of stereotype of of a midlife crisis, right? So it is dopamine-seeking behavior, right? Alcohol or drug abuse, adrenaline-seeking behavior, like buying that sports car and driving recklessly or making those like huge life choices that aren't, you know, I would say huge life choices that aren't compatible with your values, right? Like the stereotype of the, you know, man just leaving their family. So those are sort of like behavioral maladaptations, but it can also be just this like, existential aspect of my expectations of my life don't align with the reality of my life, which is another way that psychologists sort of think of midlife crisis, of that realization that, oh, this is not, this is not what I thought I would be doing now. This is not, this wasn't, this wasn't what I thought my direction was. And so that, that misalignment can also just lead to depression, anxiety. And for some people, it, it can lead to the midlife crisis aspect. There have been some, there's some older studies that actually had psychologists kind of try to measure how many people are having midlife crisis and they came up with about 10% of people. Although if you ask people to self-identify whether or not they've had a midlife crisis, about a quarter of us will say that we have. And that's probably because of this difference between externally driven challenges and internally driven challenges. I definitely feel like I've had a lot of externally driven challenges in the last five years that have propelled a lot of adaptation and growth. And so I identify more with the 
opportunity to to grow through challenge. But I I think I've experienced more of these sort of externally driven challenges rather than internally driven, which is kind of like the hallmark feature of a midlife crisis. There's not a there can certainly be contributors like global pandemic, but the heart of it is that exactly what you said, Stacey, is that it comes from something introspective. Yeah, I think it's interesting. As you were talking, I was also thinking about the popularization of a quarter life crisis and Mm -hmm. that coinciding with that time period in which you defined there's supposed to be, and I'm using quotation marks, stability about that time, right? Like you're, you're entering, you're exiting from your early 20s and entering a time period in which a lot of people feel like they should be married or they should have the job they want and all these kinds of things. Again, quotation marks. And so if we think about that from the perspective of, okay, what does that look like midlife? For me, it wasn't about behavioral maladaptation. It wasn't about other things. It was the lowest ebb of happiness that I had despite structuring my life the way that I thought that I wanted and then realizing that that wasn't what I actually wanted and being able to recognize and make change in my life still within the confines of my values. You know, so I I do think in a lot of the things that you've talked about, there are all of these nuances in terms of, you know, is it really a crisis? Is it transcendence? All of these things. So to kind of continue the conversation that the Atlantic started, whereby the author is suggesting that you can have transcendence instead of Christ with two choices. And those two choices are one, from positive perspectives towards a transcendence, keeping this in mind, to focus on what age gives you, not what it has taken away, which would be you know, a feeling of stagnation could lead to crisis. I think you mentioned that too, Sarah. So Mm -hmm. if you're fighting against time, you're going to desperately feel like you're trying not to look older or you're struggling against changes in skills. I've seen this in myself with TikTok, but also, you know, like with my parents as they didn't want to take an iPhone or different kinds of things like that earlier in their life, right? And oftentimes there can be discrimination in job opportunities because it's assumed that if you're older, you don't have technical skills of younger generation. And so if you start to feel all those things, combined with getting older and accepting your age would then allow you to recognize the new aptitudes and abilities that you naturally develop after 40 instead of fighting against all of these things that feel like, oh, this was who I was before. And now if you're merging into, and this is who I am now in a state of acceptance, then we can move towards things like teaching others and being able to explain complex ideas to younger generations and sharing experience and that kinds of stuff. Psychologists call this crystallized intelligence. So if instead of fighting, I'm going to take a sidebar here. Yesterday in the car, I was talking to a kiddo and I was like, I feel like I need to get Botox. Everybody my age is getting Botox and I really don't like this forehead wrinkle. And they were like, don't you dare. I love that forehead wrinkle. It's who you are. It's your expression. I love it. And so I think that there's a perception of like, you know, if you're fighting with age, if I'm fighting the idea that I have this forehead wrinkle and that it makes me older and that everybody else is getting Botox, then I have this negative feeling about it versus if I take the idea of this is the wisdom. I mean, there was like a 10 minute conversation where a kiddo just went on and on about like, that shows the life experiences you've had and, and you're so wise. And if you get rid of that, I'll be sad. And it really like crystallized for me that it is a sign of my growth and my age and my wisdom and that that's not a bad thing, that I am how old I am and that's an okay thing to move forward with. So I think it can both be fluid in your life, right? It's not just like certain moments and times that we can have this crystallized intelligence. I don't think it's only associated with a midlife crisis or a midlife transcendence. But I do think that that mindset is a a huge factor in if you were going down a path of maladaptation or if you're going down a path of, you know, acceptance and transcendence. 
The second thing that he mentions to put us on a path towards positivity is this idea of subtraction and not addition. And we actually did the show with Christina Glickman, episode three, where we called it The Power of No. I'm a huge fan of this, and I find that it's been really powerful in my own life as I've tried to incorporate more of it over the last few years. Studies find that the most common concerns reported by middle-aged adults involve getting everything done in their busy life. And I can think of so many people who are experiencing this, right? Like you've got your parents to take care of and think about, you've got your children to take care of and think about, you've got your job and your career and your house and all of that kind of stuff. You're fighting your energy level, your job complications, probably trying to make your way up in the world of whatever your career is so that the idea is that you can retire and all these things leading to insufficient sleep, which we've talked about endlessly on this show as being incredibly bad for your health, both mental and physical. So if you're choosing instead of, you know, addition, what you're adding to your life, all these things, if you can choose to say no more often, if you can choose the power of subtraction instead of addition, then you're able to kind of like calm some of these things in that busy life time period to a place where you can have stabilization of energy and get more sleep, which will allow you to kind of, you know, flow with your life overall better. So I will say that from my own experience, this is true. He goes on to talk about this idea of sandwiching, which this is where you still have your kids to raise and you have the care of your aging parents to consider. And according to the findings from a 1995 study, about 40% of people in their early 40s have both parents still alive and 80% of people have in their late 60s have no parents alive. So it's this like 20 year period of realizing that you don't have that much time left with your parents, that yeah. they need more care and wanting to probably be more involved or maybe you have a strained relationship with your parents and that becomes difficult for you. So during those intervening years, adults spend about two and a half hours a day in unpaid care of a family member. And that is giving burden to the caregiver from not just a time constraint, but also financial resources. I had no idea that like that statistic was that high, that there's 80% of people who still have their parents alive in their forties, but not in their sixties. And that on average, we're spending two and a half hours a day in unpaid care of a family member, which means, you know, for those of us that wouldn't have family members, the average is much higher for people who still do. Um, And of course, that's going to be a burden on your life. It's also going to have you think about your, your life and existential dilemmas and all that kind of stuff as you're kind of looking at your parents needing help and thinking about yourself needing help at that age. The good news is that people tend to get happier and more creative, less neurotic, more agreeable, more conscientious. And I think, Sarah, you referred to that as that U-shaped curve, right? Where mm-hmm. we can see that we're we're hitting a point at which we're psychologically happier after 30 and into old age. So I'm curious, when you were kind of looking into that, did you find if there was more science on that beyond just like statistical analysis of the psychology of of happiness. What else can we measure? Yeah. I mean, I think this is a really interesting field of psychology and there's definitely a lot of conflicting evidence right now. So for example, there are a bunch of studies that show this U-shaped curve where our well-being hits this dip in the U in middle age, and maybe because we are spread so, so, so thin. But also there's some other studies, and it sort of tends to be the perspective studies that follow the same group of people for a long period of time that show that on average, well-being just steadily increases as we age. And I, I certainly feel, I don't know, like as, as I age, one of the things that I have realized is that 
you're never done growing up. You're never done learning or growing as a person or, you know, figuring your stuff out. And I think that as I've come to accept that for the rest of my life, every time I think back to myself 10 years younger, I'm going to think, ah, oh, kiddo, you, you didn't know, you didn't know what you were, you know, you were so young back then. You just, you, you know, you were, you thought you were all grown up, but you weren't really right. And I'm just going to keep doing that for forever because I can look back now at my 35 year old self and be like, ha, 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 you were such a kid. And at 35, I could think back to my 25 year old self. Ha, 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 you were such a kid. And at 15, I thought I was all grown up, but 25 year old me knew better. And so I think that's just going to be the rest of my life. It's just going to be this continual process of, of growth. And I think that as I've recognized that and recognized that my entire life is the opportunity to learn, it's helped me both sort of respect, I think, in a de- at a deeper level, the wisdom and advice of my you know, relatives, my, my mom, for example, my relatives of that generation and the few, my grandmother just turned a hundred on Tuesday. So I've got a few members of of that generation around. Yeah. So my, my great aunt who just passed last year, but she also just made it to a hundred. So I am excited about those genes, but so part of, part of this, part of why these studies that are perspective that follow the same people showing this, the steady increase in well-being, I think reflects that neuroplasticity, right? The fact that our, our brains are constantly making new connections. Our, our, our brains don't really stagnate. Our brains can continue to learn. And the more we learn, the more our brain can continue to learn. But also what's really fascinating about the science behind here is that studies have shown that the aging brain is less prone to regret. So as we get older, we are less likely to regret our previous decisions. We're less likely to have regrets in terms of where our life path has taken us. And we also tend to realign our expectations with reality. So if we think of a midlife crisis as being driven by a misalignment between what we expected our life to be at 40 and what our life actually is at 40, and then you think of an aging brain starting to realign expectations with reality. So maybe by 50 or 60 or 70, we have expectations that are compatible with what our life really is. And you take out that discordance, then I think that also is part of a transcending a midlife crisis or, or midlife transcendence, but also where we get sort of beyond that that dip in the U if we're someone who is going to experience that dip in the U. Likely, some people have a U dip and some people don't. I wonder what the correlation between that and having a midlife either crisis or transcendence is. So for example, I feel this is not something, you know, that could be defined well by science, for example, but I feel like the reason that my U-shaped curve and increase in happiness is a result of the realignment that I did in my life to transcend to where I wanted to be happier. And mm-hmm. then if I had stayed on the same path that I was on, I would not have experienced that U-shaped curve because I just would have been sitting in that same state. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. There's also some research showing that certain personalities are more likely to experience a midlife crisis versus, you know, I, I, I like the thought of midlife crisis versus midlife transcendence, right? Transcendence to me means that you hit that period of time where you realized your expectations were misaligned with reality and you took that as an opportunity for growth. So this is where you'd have the cliche of the 40-year-old who goes and, you know, joins a team sport, right? Or takes up takes up improv classes or, right, goes out and, and does something that is very new, very different, or that goes back to a hobby that they had as a teenager, right? And and makes a change in their life. You've made a lot of changes in your life in the last few years to help fix that 
alignment issue, right? Like, hey, my expectations don't align with my reality, but I've got some power here where I can change my reality. So there's a path through where we change our expectations and there's a path through where we change our reality. And I think that's the sort of ambitious personality type, the 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 personality type that that has sort of a growth mindset, a solution-oriented mindset when it comes to challenges that will take that misalignment and, you know, make positive change to, you know, here, this, these were my expectations. This is my reality. I'm going to make these changes to make these closer together. Whereas I think the midlife crisis part is the part where you go, act. <laughs> This was not what I expected my life to be right now. Going to to channel this, you know, adrenaline-seeking behavior of my teenage years, right? I'm going to think back to when I was at a not on the bottom of the U, but a higher part of the U, and I'm going to try to recreate that. And that is what, in some people, can lead to that sort of maladaptation. So that is what I think of as the crisis is is again, we've got a lot of cultural stereotypes around this crisis, right? It, we, we think of it as a 40 to 50 year old man, typically, although men are more likely to actually experience a midlife crisis again, because of differences in their neurophysiology. But, but that's sort of what I think of as, as a, a different way of approaching the same misalignment. Some of us grow through it and some of us kind of hit a wall. Yeah, that makes sense. And I can think of several instances in my life where the cliche actually happened. And I remember being like, that is such a cliche. Are you serious? That's that's what's happening right now. I think what's interesting to me is that in researching more on this, what this none of this explains that we're talking about and you mentioned the neurophysiology a couple of times, which were we're going to get into, I think the fascinating aspect of that for me is that none of this kind of like social and psychological explains why they have found that in studies, it is not uniquely human that we experience a midlife reevaluation, change, crisis, transcendence, whatever we want to call it, that there are examples of it being more biological than sociological. And the example that we found of evaluating chimps and orangutans being happiest in their own midlife prior to their own midlife and then experiencing this like sadness during that mid period really confuses me because (laughs) because you know if I'm thinking about this like are they doing adrenaline seeking behavior you know if I'm thinking about it from the perspective of a crisis and I'm thinking about it from the perspective of a transcendence like it just doesn't make sense to me other than the idea of the other thing that we haven't really included in this that I think definitely comes into play is that you know, being a animal that knows that it's going to die is unique to a very small group of animals, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, it's, it's pretty unique. Most life on earth does not know when their end time is or that there even is an end time. And a lot of that is why the psychology aspects come into play for me, because I'm thinking you only know that you're midlife because you know when you'll die or that, you know, when you'll get older. Yes, exactly. Right. Like you can look at your family history. You can look at the average age of, you know, people in the country that you live in, like all that kind of stuff. So that's, I think the feeling of, midlife for me comes from that knowledge. If you don't have that knowledge, how do you even recognize that you're in midlife to have a crisis? So what I found really interesting about this particular study, that it was the happiness of the chimps and orangutans was evaluated by the zookeepers. So this was all captive animals that was was in the study. And they 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 went through a lot of 
work to control for anthropomorphizing. So are the projection of human experiences onto the behavior of animals. And so there is a chance that part of the evaluation is that the idea of a midlife crisis is so culturally ingrained in us that there may have been a different interpretation of a chimp or orangutan's behavior in their 20s and 30s. So if a chimp is having a temper tantrum, which part of, you know, part of evaluation was, you know, them just being angry or, you know, acting sad or isolating themselves. So part of that might be how we interpret that behavior through the lens of human experience, but also they, you know, they, they're really smart animals, right? They're, they're very, they're primates. They're very closely related to us. We're primates. And so it could very well be that, we have this biological change in midlife that is a catalyst for a change in how we interact with our families, friends, society that then creates stronger social bonds, right? So we kind of go through this crisis time of isolation and dissatisfaction that can drive a different type of change. And of course, in human society and in primate communities, there is a different role of the sort of elders, right? Sort of caretaking, teaching, leadership role. And it's this transition period into that role that could be what we're, we're measuring in a study like this. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive, which is the probiotic I recommend to all my skincare clients because your gut health impacts literally everything inside and out, including your well-being and mood. I personally take it every day and it is the one probiotic I've tried where I can actually tell a difference in my digestion, cravings, and skin. I think most people know probiotics are part of personal preventative care, improving gut health and your immune system. But did you know that 99.9% of the probiotics in the market die in your naturally harsh stomach acid? Even those supposedly special refrigerated probiotics are dead on arrival. Just Thrive Probiotic is different, and here's why. Their proprietary strains are designed by nature to put up an armor-like shell when conditions get rough. They withstand extreme temperatures and can even be sprinkled onto any food or drink. Just Thrive Probiotic requires no special encapsulation, no refrigeration, nothing. What you get is an all-natural, extensively studied probiotic that's perfect for the whole family. Plus, it's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, histamine-free, and non-GMO. If you're looking for the best in gut health and immune support, choose the clinically proven award-winning power of Just Thrive Probiotic. They contain more human clinical research than any other probiotic products out there. Get 15% off site-wide when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW at checkout. Honestly and sincerely, this is the only product I have ever seen make a difference for me. To try it, get 15% off when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW. That includes bundles and subscriptions too. This podcast is brought to you by Dame Products. Don't tune this out. We all need to be more open to the idea of pleasure being good for us, mentally and physically, whether by yourself or with a partner. Matt and I have used Dame Products for years, and I can tell you firsthand, yes, Sarah would have loved that pun, that they are long-lasting, high-performance quality products. And there's so much variety, no matter what your personality type. Having a pleasure practice is good for your health. It can improve the quality of your sleep, help you de-stress, relieve pain, even give you that lit from within glow as you go about your day. And while exploring on your own with something like Palm, the flexible, versatile, compact, and ergonomic vibe that's discreet and petite, you'll learn more about what you like to increase pleasure with partners. And if you've been married for 20 years, <laughs> like me, and you want to change things up, the hands-free toy Eva specifically is made for couples and it nestles close to the body and stays put so you and your partner can focus on connection and intimacy. 
And if those aren't right for you, Dame has so many high quality options. And the best part is that they offer hassle-free returns with 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. I like that pun too. While on the site, I highly recommend checking out the oil, which passes my clean test. It is by far the best clean ingredient lube, and it doesn't dry out or get weird with use. Power up your pleasure with Palm or any of the other toys at Dame Products. Go to dameproducts.com and use code WHOLEVIEW today for 15% off site-wide. That's code WHOLEVIEW to take 15% off your first order at dameproducts.com. Public service announcement. As the weather changes, so does the need to modify your skincare. Listen to episode 431 of season two with Sarah and I to hear more on the science of why your skin might get dry and what nutrients and products it will like best for colder seasons. And you can still use code cleanforall30 at beautycounter.com slash Toth to get some of my favorites. If you need help navigating your own unique skin needs, I just recently launched a free skincare guide that I will be happy to customize for you. Just email Stacy at realeverything.com with the subject skin guide to get yours. You'll be supporting my woman-owned small business and voting with your wallet by choosing a certified B Corp whose mission is to get safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws and get yourself 30% off with code cleanforall30 at beautycounter.com slash S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H. I love the idea of linking biology and science around this and not just the emotional aspect. And you did find another article that goes into more of the brain side of it and not just the emotion side of it. Do you want to recap that for us and kind of, you know, your takeaways Yeah. I mean, I, neurophysiology is very complex. I found the study fascinating, although to be fair, I I probably fully understood all of 25% of it. But what my takeaways from this study is they showed some changes in like literally measuring changes in gray matter in the brain that was associated with social networks, social socialization, social encounters. And there was both a difference in the aging brain, so a difference between our adolescent selves and our middle adulthood selves that meant that, so as sort of adolescents, we're very, very social. We are not intimidated generally to go out and meet new people, to go to a place where most of the people we're not going to know. We tend to make a lot of social connections. We tend to have very large social circles. And it is a normal part of our change in neurophysiology as we transition from young adulthood into middle adulthood to value closer relationships with a smaller number of people. And so we tend to then have a more stable social circle in middle age. So the study also measured a really clear difference between males and females. And it showed that males are more likely to basically like lose touch with with friends, family, as they go through this transition in a middle adulthood and end up in a fairly socially isolated situation, whereas women are more likely to maintain those social connections through middle age. And so the study was able to identify social isolation as a normal consequence of the change in neurophysiology through aging, but was able to sort of identify social isolation as a key driver of the midlife crisis. And I I found this really fascinating because I definitely have a smaller social circle now than I did in my 20s and 30s. Um, And to think of the socialization as being a really important aspect of connection, but also part of that alignment of expectation and reality. So feeling isolated makes that misalignment feel bigger, right? It makes it feel, makes things feel harder, which of course, you know, 
back in the olden days, we'd covered on the show, you know, the importance of strong social networks, right? So that sort of makes sense to me that a lack of a strong social network would be a risk factor. They also were able to show the more people who live in your household, the less likelihood you have of having a midlife crisis. And it's all related to this really important change in our brains where we are valuing these strong social connections with fewer people. And if we don't have those, if we start to become socially isolated, that that can be a key driver of the behavioral maladaptations that can be seen in a midlife crisis. Yeah, that's interesting. If I think back to my youth, not only did I have a a broader social circle, but it felt imperative that those relationships be maintained and closely. Like I remember thinking that I, as a teenager, cared way more for my friends who I have no contact with at this point than my family, right? And like now, obviously, I feel much, much different. And part of that is the connection that I've created in the house in which I live, where I crave isolation because I lack so much of it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's a difference between that sort of introverted recharge time (laughs) and social isolation. Because if you're an introvert, being by yourself is different than being socially isolated. Yes. Thank you. I was making a joke. Yeah. And so I think when I, when I relate this to the things that I've been through, I mean, obviously I would define my experience as if, if, if we're going to take on the phrase of midlife transcendence, and I totally agree that it is more about personal growth. And there's also this opportunity for post-traumatic growth, which I think a lot of people are experiencing after the pandemic and why people are seeking therapy and trying to learn and grow from the past several years, not just from the pandemic, but also from social justice issues and all different kinds of things that have really exploded during this unique time. Because we had the Spanish flu before, but we didn't have the internet, right? And so we, we kind of have this compounding of all of these things being shared while we're at home, feeling helpless, feeling out of control all at the same time. So I know for me, what that transcendence led to was a a real reevaluation of what am I doing with my life? And is this what I thought I wanted to do with my life? And do I have an opportunity to realign it to what I want? Um, And I can think of times where, you know, I left corporate America, I came home and I was very happy and I realized, you know what, like we're so privileged and we have so much in our life and this doesn't feel comfortable for me. I want to give back in a very different way. And then we decided to foster leading to us expanding our family as, you know, older parents and our children being teenagers, which was a period of huge personal growth and learning and unlearning about supporting youth who have trauma and the societal and cultural aspects of that and really allowing me to grow. Although there are a lot of people who, I mean, just I know from the foster system who who don't take that opportunity to learn and grow and understand and unlearn during that period and not have the empathy and compassion for example, biological parents who, you know, have mental health issues or who have addiction issues and those kinds of things. Like if you're not willing to kind of understand what their lived experience is, then it doesn't create that growth opportunity. But then I can also look at like this zigzag of period where it led to a very dark time for me when the children were all home and I was feeling really overwhelmed and needing to continue to kind of reevaluate during that time period for my own personal well-being and learning how to say no to things, learning how to subtract, so to speak. And at the same time, learning how to ask for what I needed, learning how to communicate in ways that were really not something, not skills that I had despite having been through therapy before and being an adult with good communication skills and a college degree, like I still did not know how to communicate to those people in my circle what it was that I needed in a way that would deliver it to me. And then I think there's just 
you know, the fun part of this midlife growth that is another trope or cliche that I think everybody knows, which is old ladies just don't give a care. (laughs) They give zero Fs, right? And they will tell you what they think and they will live their life the way they want. And for me, I definitely entered that period of my life in a joyful way, giving up on hard pants and heels. (laughs) Like, nope. It's athleisure and sustainable sneakers all day for me, and I don't care what anybody thinks. Wearing jogging pants and leg warmers to walk my dog in the morning because that's what keeps me warm and is comfortable, I highly resonate with that. <laughs> I also, I completely gave up compression garments and yes. jeans over over the last couple of years. I The yoga dress pant is now, that, that's now my thing, and golf skirts. I have grown to adore golf skirts are those the kind that have like the shorts underneath they have the shorts built in yeah they're uh, like athleisure skirts yeah. not and they're super stretchy yep. Yep. yeah yeah i'm Love all in them. all in yep. mm-hmm. yeah. how about you what so i know you don't identify with this midlife crisis idea but you've certainly had your own changes over the past couple <sighs> of years as well yes so i thinking about this i mean i I certainly have faced a number of externally driven challenges, which have forced me to adapt and grow and develop new skills. And I'm, you know, an overall, I feel gratitude even to the challenges because, because of the skills I've been able to build. Hey, you said earlier, that's a thing old people will do. Look at you. Yeah. No regret. I'm just kidding you. too old for regret. (laughs) But I would say, you know, looking at the research, I think there's a couple of things that have helped inure me to the crisis part of a midlife crisis. And one of those is career ambition. So the fact that I have something that I want to work toward and that my job can change, it's I get to decide what it is and it it's something that I can constantly go to the next challenge and keep learning that studies do show that having that type of like stimulation in a career can be very, very helpful for not having that ebb of, of well-being because it sort of keeps us engaged with our career and avoids that feeling of repetitive work or stagnation. And of course, for me, that's where NutriVore comes in because it's both the natural next step of me just like following the science, but it also represents that sort of larger ambition for me to help more people get healthy and put an end to diet culture. That's just a small goal I have of making diet culture a thing of, of the past. But I think the other thing that I've really recognize as being really important for me through the pandemic is novelty. So this is really fun science. We perceive time slower during novel experiences. So when we are in a new place for the first time, time literally, like our perception of it, time doesn't actually literally slow down because that would require a black hole, but our perception of time slows down. And so one of the things that I sort of recognized through the first year of the pandemic was like, I didn't have novel experiences to anchor time. So it kind of felt like time lost all meaning. Days of the weeks were meaningless. I could think back to the past year and go, I don't know what, what we did. And so I became much more intentional in the second year of the pandemic to seek novelty in ways that are safe and that are consistent with my values. So that would be things like hiking a new trail in the morning with my dog, or I've turned from a amateur forager to a slightly more experienced amateur forager. So learning to forage like a new wild edible. So that gives me like a different way to appreciate nature. I'm looking at different things. I'm seeing different things in the woods. So that's creating a novel experience, even if I'm on a familiar path and then starting my, my vegetable garden and growing all different kinds of vegetables. It's been a tremendous learning experience. There's been some successes. There's been a whole lot of failures. So it's been, again, a completely separate from work, but opportunity for novelty and, and learning. And I think those two things, if I think about how I've changed my direction over the last few years. I would say one is is leaning in to this direction I was already sort of being pulled in professionally. And the other one is really embracing trying to find something new. That's a really good example of 
what we all felt during the first year of the pandemic of literally having no idea what happened. Like my, my recollection and memory of that is just like misery, just thinking back and being like, gosh, I felt so overwhelmed and miserable. And I could not tell you specifically anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just IT support. I was I, uh, IT support slash slash tutor all day, every day. <laughs> totally. I think that's, that's, the only thing I can define that first year with is yes. the kids were learning at home and that meant all the interruptions of this won't print, can't get on this Zoom meeting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, like, I don't know the where, the, where the link is for the next Google chat yeah. room. Like, oh, okay, because I was there. I definitely know exactly right. where, where you need to go, what you need to do. Yeah. That said, I do like to leave listeners with action items they can take towards positive progress and change in their own life. I think you've just described, you know, a really great example of how you incorporated some of that with creating novelty during the pandemic. I'm wondering if you have ideas for how to help someone move forward in a positive way. So away from that maladaptive behavior and more towards transcendence. If someone is feeling pulled about midlife, if they're feeling stuck in a pinch, so to speak. So the number one best thing I have ever done for my physical and mental health is get a dog. Absolutely top. I realize it's not something everyone can do. Not every lifestyle is compatible with a dog. But for me, a dog has been unconditional love, cuddles whenever I want them because she thinks she's a 53-pound lap dog. It's time in nature every single day, and it is activity, rain or shine, no matter what the weather, because I got a high-energy dog who needs at least an hour walk every single day. And I, my blood work is the best that it's been ever. I feel the best that I have ever, and I have gone through some really universe curveballs the last few months that I think at any other time would have broken me. And I've been able to navigate them with a solution-oriented mindset and viewing them as opportunities for growth and been able to come through the other side with some new skills and, and some, you know, wonderful lessons learned. And I think a huge part of how I was able to navigate those challenges has been how having a dog has helped me structure my life in a way that is so much healthier for me. But even before getting the dog, I was working on realigning my life. So doing less of the things that I don't need to be that I don't need to be the person who does that. That doesn't need to be me. That can be somebody else. Or maybe that's a thing that doesn't even need to ever happen and do more of the things that give me joy or satisfaction that make me feel accomplished, that help me make, you know, steps towards my goals. And that's certainly been especially true in, in how I've changed and restructured my professional life. But, but I would say even, even how I balance work and other things I want to do, also other responsibilities, I think kind of falls under that. And then I would say my third tip, and then maybe this is the, like the most accessible one. Maybe this is the place to always start. I think sleep is my superpower. I The pandemic, one of the, the silver linings for me is that sleep finally became a consistent thing that I got enough of every single night. Somehow not needing to ferry kids around to all the places. It, I somehow in that finally had the space to really go to bed early enough, not almost early enough, which I think is what I was before, but really, really early enough to, and really, really on a consistent schedule. And being well-rested helps me to respond rather than react which I think is a really important life skill that I have gotten much better at in the last couple of years. It makes me more likely to problem solve. It makes me more collaborative. It makes me just be able to think clearly so I'm better at prioritizing. I have more energy for self-care. It is in itself self-care, and it's also in itself something that has been really helpful for my mental health, especially improving my anxiety. 
I love all those ideas and in one way or another have definitely incorporated them. I think sleep for me looks different than sleep for you. And the pandemic allowed me to sleep in. I'm just not someone who can go to bed as early as works for you. And so I'm um, out cold by nine. Yeah. (laughs) So instead of like coming to bed at 1130, Coming to bed at 10 and then being able to sleep in till 8 allowed me to get exactly what I needed in terms of sleep. So I know, listeners, sometimes it feels impossible when we talk about the importance of sleep and, you know, all the things we talked at the beginning about how midlife puts you in this pinch of, you know, your own children and your parents and your job and, you know, somehow you're supposed to find time for your marriage and self-care and all these things and making, you know, your own food and all this stuff and it feels overwhelming and sleep kind of gets put last on your list. I would say the thing that I had to start doing is is really just treat it like it, it was an appointment in my calendar. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is the time at which I'm done. And so if I want to be able to do certain things before that, I I have to say no to these other things to get them done, or I have to be willing to say, "Mm, I'm just not going to do that either today or in general or whatever. And I do think that, you know, a lot of these concepts go in together, kind of like puzzle pieces towards seeing that, that picture. So I would add the two things that I would put on the list is, is one therapy or even if you find like a support group for me I have both and the idea of being able to reframe the idea of being able to talk through what are the things that are feeling overwhelming and logistically what can I really take off my plate or not take off my plate or ask myself why do I feel like I can't take that off my plate or different things like that if you're feeling like stuck with some of that stuff, being able to talk through it with a professional who is not biased. I think that's one of the things that we do is we talk sometimes about these things with either our spouse or our friends who aren't trained to help you kind of reframe your life and your concepts and are more along the lines of, it's fine, you're doing great. It, you know, that kind of stuff, like yeah. that's not what you need. And so I would say the other thing is from that really learning to lean in to love. And I know mm-hmm. it sounds kind of cliche and ridiculous, but I had to listen to my heart. Matt and I were really close to separating halfway through the pandemic and couples therapy and choosing to continue to love each other and like each other was really important. I'd say also that it extended this idea of leaning into love to me wanting to foster and ultimately led to all that I've done to become a better parent and a better person, all because I kept telling myself, like, the most important value for me is love. I love these people. I want to show up for these people and I want to show up for myself. How do I do that? So instead of, you know, shame or discomfort about the mistakes that I made along the way, allowing myself to kind of be vulnerable and admitting, well, I made a mistake there. I wasn't a perfect parent all along. You know, the first 10 years with my own children before I started fostering, it wasn't perfect. No one could be perfect. That's why I did episode one about perfectionism, because it has really been so important and such a journey for me to realize that that mindset was really toxic towards maladaptive behaviors that I had in myself. And so learning how to reframe and learning how to do better by knowing better was not just things like, you know, food or self-care, or non-toxic living, they were also the way that I wanted to live my life. So I had to keep learning to know more, to do better, which is why I know you listeners are here right now. So hopefully these ideas can creep into your life in some sort of way to help you redirect to a transcendence and growth versus a crisis. Sarah, is there anything else you want to add before we pop over to patreon.com slash the whole view to share more about kind of 
our own personal experiences, not just about midlife, but also how you've been, what you've been up to. It has been a tough couple of, of years for you, especially the last six months. Um, mm-hmm. And I know our listeners want to hear what you've been up to, but anything else on this topic? I, I feel like talking about leaning into love is like the perfect place to wrap this up. So no, I think, I think if there's any take home message, it's that feelings are always valid and however you feel right now, you're not alone. And there's an entire community out there who can understand how you feel and is there to support you. And we encourage transcendence over crisis. Agreed. And listeners, if you loved the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show and get to hear more of Sarah and I chat. But so is leaving a review or hitting that follow or subscribe button in the podcast app that you're using. That way others can find us as well. And we're going to put a list of resources in the show notes for everybody at realeverything.com. But I'm going to remind you, you can find Sarah at Dr. Sarah with an H Ballantine on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok, as well as the paleomom.com and nutrivore.com. Definitely check out the live events. You can go to the paleomom.com and just scroll down to premium resources to hear more about those live events and other resources that Sarah provides on her website. And the last thing is I just want to Thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal changes. A reminder that no one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves, which you're doing here today. So thank you. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.